welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is January 31st, and today we're going to look at Genesis 31. As a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of the Bible, and then I very briefly offer an explanation of key ideas, themes, and the theology in about 5 to 20 minutes. Sometimes we go a little longer. So let's get into our reading from God's Word today. Genesis 31 says this. Now Jacob heard the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our our father's, and from what was our father's he has granted all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, and yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And in the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. And then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that that mate with the flock are striped and spotted and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. And then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that, that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. And now then, whatever God has said to you, do. And so Jacob arose and set his sons and wives on camels. And he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that, that he had acquired in Paddan Aran to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole uh, her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Armenian by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. And when it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Armenian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. And now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and daughters farewell? 
Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your God shall not live. And in the presence of our kinsmen, point out uh, what I have that is yours and take it. And now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And so Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. And now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of the woman is upon me. And so he searched, but did not find the household gods. And then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household gods? Uh, Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have uh, not eaten of, of the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts... I I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. For my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. And so Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sadutha, but Jacob called it Galead. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Thereby he named it Galad and Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me, and when we are out of one another's sights. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. And Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and this pillar, which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. And so Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country, and called his kinsmen to eat bread. There they ate bread, and spent the night in the hill country. And early in the morning Laban arose, and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters, and blessed them. And then Laban departed, and returned home. This is our reading from Genesis 31 for today. 
Now, Jacob may have started out his life as a deceiver, willing to lie and to cheat in order to gain the place of promise. But he has proven himself to be teachable. He emerges from his stay and pattern around a better man. Humbled by his father-in-law's trick, an example of an eye for an eye justice in Genesis 29, Jacob has labored long and hard for Laban, who has exploited his son-in-law's godly desire to provide for his family, as we looked at in Genesis 30. And though Laban has done all that he could to keep Jacob and his service around indefinitely, the Lord thwarted him by prospering the patriarch's efforts. Jacob's hard work benefited his father-in-law greatly, as we see in verse 27. But Laban's family does not celebrate their wealth. In this chapter today, it tells us that Jacob's success angers Laban's sons because it dwarfs their father's profit. Laban earlier appreciated the great prosperity that Jacob brought to him, but he begins to take the grumbling of his his sons to heart now that his son-in-law has surpassed him, as we see in verse 2 of our chapter today. This alarms Jacob, who has seen a marked shift in how his father-in-law regards him. And and as we're going to see here soon, this situation makes Jacob unable to stay safely with Laban and his family for much longer. In fact, in verse 3 of our chapter, it reveals Jacob's flight back to Canaan is not prompted solely by the danger he now faces. The Lord himself comes to Jacob and calls him to return to the land of his father. In fact, again, God promises to be with Jacob, reiterating his steadfast love for him and even confirming him as the heir to Abraham's covenant. And so he repeats his promise to remain faithful to his family, the great covenant blessing. And so recent events have pushed Jacob in the direction that he needs to go. In like manner, today we often find God ordering our own circumstances to show us a path we should take. And yet Jacob does not move until the Lord speaks to him clearly. And neither should we make decisions without seeking guidance in the word of God. John Calvin says this, Although the Lord may incite us to duty by adversity, yet we shall thereby profit little unless the stimulus of the word be added. Wherefore, that the instrument conveyed by the outward things may profit us, we must ask the Lord to shine upon us in his own word. And sometimes we sense divine promise indicating for us to make a move. A new job offer might present itself. Maybe a relationship is pointing towards marriage. Investment prospects may be golden opportunities for growing our resources. God will often direct us by opening doors, but we must be sure that we have spent time in his word before we determine which choice to make. Many times an available option is not heaven sent. And having his wife's full consent in his decision to flee Paddan Aram, Jacob and his entourage begins to return to Canaan in Genesis 31 as we're talking about today. Concern for his clan's safety factors into this move, but also Jacob's growing desire to trust God and return to the promised land cannot be ignored. Genesis 31:21 says he set his face towards Gilead, a region east of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River where the Israelite, Israelite tribe Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh later settled. Jacob is taking uh, his family and making a beeline for his God-given country. And so this caravan makes its move while Laban is shearing the sheep in verse 19. That's a wise decision. Shepherds were busy during the sheep shearing season and worked from sunrise to sunset, gathering wool from their flocks. Jacob was thereby able to uh, get a lead of several days on his father-in-law. And so Moses tells us Jacob tricked Laban in verse 20, a term that literally means stole the heart of. God has, has again providentially rendered payback. Laban, the one who's 
stole Jacob's sheep is now himself the victim of theft. In fact, Jacob's cunning nature, once employed purely out of self-interest, now serves the kingdom. In fact, in dealing with his idolatrous father-in-law, Isaac's favored son does not reveal all of his plans, but departs when Laban least suspects it for the good of his family and in obedience to the Lord. He moves with the wisdom of serpents and as we'll see, the innocence of doves. And in Genesis 31, 19, it tells us Rachel stole her father's household gods. These idols in, in uh, or teraphim in the Hebrew were often used to prove somebody's claim to an inheritance. And they usually represented pagan gods or deceased relatives whom family members could consult for divining the future. Now, Rachel probably stole them for use as a good luck charm, much as images of the saints are popularly used in Roman Catholicism today. That a matriarch of Israel felt compelled to resort to such superstition, it proves how we must heed John Calvin's warning in his commentary on verse 19. When he says, Idolatry, he writes, is an almost innate in the human mind that is so firmly fixed there as scarcely to be capable of being uprooted shows its obstinacy. And so, since God's people have not totally shaken off idolatry, we again repeat Scripture's call to keep ourselves from idol in 1 John 5.21. And so, we must also recall Jacob's wisdom in dealing with Laban. As Christians, we must pray for non-believers we know and share the gospel with them, but not let us not be gullible around those who would do us harm. If you're facing a problem in dealing with a non-Christian, pray and seek counsel for how you may deal wisely with that person. Laban may have been away when Jacob and his daughters set out for Gilead, as we see in verses 17 through 21 of our chapter today, but, but their journey does not escape for his notice for long. After he becomes aware of his son-in-law's absence, Laban sets out in hot pursuit and is soon able to get within striking distance of Jacob, as we see in verses 22 through 23. And given what we know of Jacob's loss of favor in Laban's eyes, it's obvious Laban wants to execute ungodly wrath on his son-in-law. Our creator's visit to him in a dream just before he overtakes Jacob makes this even more plain. And as we're seeing in this chapter, Laban is warned not to say anything to Jacob. That is, he told he is told uh, to contradict nothing Isaac's son says to him. Without a doubt, this dream uh, provokes Laban to keep his hands off of Jacob in, the, in our chapter. And once again, God has intervened in history, keeping his promise to preserve the woman's seed and crush the devil, as we see in Genesis 3.15. Now the Lord's speech to Laban restrains his hand, but Jacob's father-in-law does not soften his heart completely. His dialogue with Jacob reveals his hypocrisy first and foremost. Laban depicts himself as a wronged father who only desired to send his daughters off well in verses 27 through 28. But this clearly contradicts his true and original intent to harm Jacob and defraud Leah and Rachel. The ways in which his transgressions have warped his mind, that is, his sin, are apparent. Jacob is accused of holding Laban's daughters captive in verse 26. When it is Laban, he was imprisoned, Jacob, and his wives for 20 years, unable to count on a steady wage for the labor of Isaac's son. Such, such muddled thinking and hypocrisy is indicative of those enslaved to sin. Unless we also reveal ourselves as those whose thinking has become futile, let us heed John Calvin's comments on Genesis thirty-one twenty-nine, when he says the ungodly, even when they have, have proof of the power of God, yet do not entirely submit themselves to his authority. 
whereof when God manifests himself to us, we must also seek from heaven the spirit of meekness, which shall bend and subdue us to obedience unto himself. Now, in Romans 12, 2, the apostle exhorts us to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. As those called out from the world to be the people of God, the Holy Spirit has indeed transformed our minds so that we may serve the Lord with all of our might and with all of our strength. And there's going to be times when sin gets the better of us and even clouds our thinking. But we should never think that we're immune to irrational thoughts or behaviors. Spend time in the Word of God today as you're doing that you might think more rightly. Our chapter today demonstrates how effective Satan's tongue lashing of his father-in-law has been. Nothing Isaac's son has spoken can be countered. Laban is left unable to defend himself. His guilt is exposed, and now he must surrender any claim he might have over Jacob and his clan. Well, J- Laban acquiesces to Jacob's claims is apparent in his suggestion and that he and his son-in-law make a covenant. Just as with Abraham and Isaac, this pact between Laban and Jacob, it demonstrates that Jacob has won. And Laban's concern for his daughters is not the main reason he is swearing this oath. He fears the power and the presence of God in Jacob's life. This is evident in the fact that he does not suggest swearing oaths until after he is reminded of Yahweh's provision for Jacob, even when he did his best to take advantage of him. Laban fears the blessing on Jacob and is trying to shield himself from the one who gave that blessing. And although he submits to the just complaints of Isaac's son, Laban does not show the same kind of spiritual maturity we have seen in in Jacob. Jacob first sees Laban's persistent corruption and makes sure to establish two markers, a pillar and a heap, to the covenant. And in scripture, legal arguments always had to be established by at least two witnesses, lest an innocent party be convicted based on the testimony of one liar. And because Laban is not trustworthy, Jacob uses the pillar and a heap of stones as witnesses for the covenant arrangement. In fact, an even stronger proof of Laban's persistent ungodliness is found in verse 50 of our chapter today. Now, in a strange turn of events, he tries to take Jacob's accusation of cruelty and put it on the head of his son-in-law, warning him that God will see if Jacob oppresses his daughters. And yet it is Laban himself who is guilty of mistreating Leah and Rachel. After all, he was the one who deceived Jacob about which daughter would be his lawful wife, as we saw in Genesis 29. And Laban remains spiritually sightless, unable to discern the true nature of his own sinful actions. Matthew Henry comments on verse 49 of our chapter today. When we are out of one another's sight, let this be a restraint upon us, that wherever we are, we are under the eye of God, he says. We may not be guilty of Laban's sins, but we can certainly oppress others when the world is not watching. Maybe we gossip and slander. Perhaps you and your spouse pretend to be the perfect couple in public, but privately speak harshly to one another. Even if others are unaware, the Lord sees what we do in secret. In his book, Knowing Scripture, Dr. R.C. Sproul reminds us that sound biblical interpretation requires the study of the historical context of a writing. If we do not understand the situation in which a text was composed, we can make the text say anything that we want. But if we take the time to consider the author and his circumstances, we're going to discover his intent and will therefore be more likely to take our doctrine from the text instead of reading into it. Moses originally wrote Genesis to the Israelites, newly freed from slavery. And though things were bad in the land of the Nile, the long journey to Canaan made the the people question their choices to follow the Lord. In Egypt, protected as many thought by its different gods, the Israelites had homes. Under Moses, they were desert nomads. 
Idolatry was the strongest temptation for these people. Faced with difficulties, it was alluring to believe uh, the worship of foreign deities could alleviate one's trouble. In fact, the Israelites did succumb to this temptation while they journeyed through the wilderness, according to Exodus 32. Thus, it was important for Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to emphasize the perils of idolatry in his historical record. This teaching is clear in our chapter today in Genesis 31. First, Rachel's theft of Laban's idols in verse 19 depicts the danger of idolatry. Laban might have left Jacob's family alone if the images had been left behind. The Lord's hand had graciously shielded them from harm despite her folly. But Rachel's theft jeopardized her family as we learn in verse 30 of our chapter today. Sadly, many in Israel never learned this lesson, according to 2 Kings 17, 7-23. And we dare not think that the New Covenant Church cannot repeat this mistake. Well, our chapter today reveals the impotence of false worship. Try as he might, Laban cannot find his gods because they are hidden under his saddle in verse 34. What kind of deity can be hidden under his seat? Only a small, powerless one. In fact, Rachel cannot dismount her camel and reveal their presence because she is menstruating, a condition that rendered women's ceremony unclean under the Old Covenant, according to Leviticus 19, 19-33. Their, their position under Rachel shows these gods are impotent and impure. Duress makes false gods enticing. Those in dire financial straits may look uh, to the lottery or corrupt politicians to save them. Men or women under pressure at work or at home may seek refuge in drugs and alcohol or even pornography. Uh, the terminally ill may, may follow those who promise healing while teaching a false gospel. Make sure you are surrounded by caring and godly, trustworthy Christians who are going to help you to see through the difficulties and caution you against chasing idols. As our chapter is showing us today, Laban is standing before Jacob and his family with an egg on his face. His search for the false gods have proved fruitless as we learn in verses 33 through 35. And he is shown to be a fool in assuming his son-in-law's theft with his idols. Now, true, the statues were in Rachel's possession, but her husband is ignorant of this, and Jacob's innocence vindicates him. And so Jacob now lays into his father-in-law and proves his righteousness. It is altogether remarkable how Isaac's son has grown spiritually since we first met him. For example, Jacob has not only been relying less and less on deceit, he has become honest, very honest with Laban, the one who relished taking advantage of him. Ancient Near Eastern custom did not obligate shepherds to cover losses their master incurred when wild enemies destroyed part of his flock as we see in Exodus 22, 10-13. But Jacob willingly paid the cost and gave his own animals to replace Laban's livestock. And now standing before Laban is a true believer in the Lord, one who has gone the extra mile even for his enemies. In fact, in Genesis 31, 42, is the clearest evidence of Jacob's radical turn from devious selfishness to faithful service. No longer is he inclined to trust only on his own wits for survival and blessing. Instead, he acknowledges the hand of God on his life. And though it took 20 years of heartbreaking labor to finally teach him, Jacob is finally learning that he can do nothing without the Lord's help. God later promises Moses that the Israelites will not leave Egypt empty-handed in Exodus 3, 21-22. And our chapter today reassured the people that the Lord always keeps his word. If God's presence made sure their, their father Jacob was not sent away in poverty, then his presence among them would also ensure that they would not leave slavery destitute. 
In fact, as God's people had chosen to bear witness to his holiness, the Israelites were to imitate divine generosity and to provide for their slaves when they set them free, according to Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 14. And even though we do not have slaves today, generous giving is still part of what it means to be the Lord's chosen people, as 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15 tells us. In fact, one of the ways we can measure our spiritual growth is to take a look at how we have grown in our generosity. That is to say, the longer we serve the Lord, the more conscious we should be of his free gifts. Not only has he granted us undeserved salvation, he has gone far beyond this in granting us all the various gifts. And if he has been willing to do this for us, we can not but imitate the Lord. Are you being more and more generous every day with your time, your talents, your gifts, and yes, even your money? Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is January 30th, and we've looked at Genesis 31. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.